So creators, if you find the right brand alignment and fit, they're more connected to the consumer, meaning they have a better intuition around what's going to resonate. And they also know how to produce arguably better creative. So as you described, there's a bunch of benefits to it that brands are waking up to for this particular use case. You eliminate the overhead. It's rapid. It's fast. It scales on demand and as big as you need. It's just better on multiple fronts. You're listening to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast, conversations with industry leaders on new trends and products that can grow your business. Today, host Jordan Roger Smith sits down with Brandon Brown, CEO and co-founder of Grin. Together, they'll discuss the key role that creators play in driving engagement, providing entertaining content that builds trust and aims to both amuse and educate their audience while creating brand awareness for advertisers that partner with them, driving results through the deeper connection these creators have with their audience. To join me in that discussion today, I'm really pleased to say we've got Brandon Brown, CEO and co-founder of Grin. Welcome to the show. I'd love to kick off just by you telling us a bit about yourself, a bit about Grin, what a Grin does, and a bit of background on how you got into the creator space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Jordan. You know, we're obviously big fans of the podcast, so looking forward to our discussion today. So for the audience listening, most of you, I'm sure, don't know me. My name is Brandon Brown. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Grin. Grin is a creator management platform. So it's a software product that marketing managers at brands use to manage relationships with social media creators, anywhere from a couple dozen all the way up to thousands. The product helps brands identify creators, outreach to them, contract with them, collaborate on content together, really to reach consumers and then report on all the results. So it's used by thousands of the fastest growing direct consumer brands. A lot of brands that I really like, like Allbirds and Fabletics and consumer brands like that. My path to Grin is interesting. I've been in marketing my whole life. I started my career at Red Bull North America in consumer marketing here in the States. And in that brand had various disciplines in marketing. Part of what I did was manage opinion leader programs for the brand. So it's how does the Red Bull brand drive marketing outcomes through people? So musicians, artists, athletes, these relevant scene insiders. And through that, I built a point of view and have brought that point of view to what we're building at Grin, which is obviously in the technology space. Yo, Brandon, it's great to have you here. And to start with, you know, help me understand the terminology here. Previously, it was called influencers. Now it's creators. Are they different? Are they the same? Like, what's the difference between the two? If there is a difference or are we just sort of swapping terms? So the way I think about it is, like the fundamental disruption is the same in that as a consumer, we no longer tune just into companies. We also tune into people. And that's driven by this consumer attention shift from traditional channels like radio and television into mobile and social. And on platforms like Instagram, which is a part of your guys' portfolio, the media property is actually a person. It's not like ESPN. It's not owned by a company. So that consumer attention shift where we used to tune into companies, now we tune into people. The way I think about the terminology is it's all about just marketing that goes through people. Influencer marketing is the first discipline that emerged out of this, right? The way I think about influencer marketing specifically is when a brand is working with someone who has a social media following to drive organic reach on social. But if you think about the types of marketing that you do with creators, which are just people, there's all different types of things that brands do with them besides influencer marketing. They do affiliate marketing. They create branded content. They do paid social via creator handles, athlete marketing, customer advocacy, right? 
So when we think about the difference between creator management and influencer marketing, creator management is the category of software that supports all marketing through creators, not just influencer marketing. And it focuses on managing creators and the tactics to do that effectively. And brands use it to do all sorts of different things. Where does Grin sit in that space? Does Grin sit on one side, the other side, across all of it? Sort of, yeah, what's its key value prop when it comes to sort of those two different facets of the same thing? So brands use Grin to manage the end-to-end workflow of working with creators. So we don't sell to the creators, we sell to the brand. And the brand uses our product kind of like a consumer brand uses it, kind of like how a B2B company would use like a Salesforce or a CRM. But instead of the consumer brand selling to prospects with a CRM, they're working with creators and collaborating on content. And so our product helps with the entire workflow from identification to outreach to contracting, all the content aggregation, the reporting, analytics, and payments. So we're on the brand side and we help with the entire life cycle for programs with creators. And so for a company that isn't using creators or has never done any sort of influencer marketing, where does this sort of channel or method of communication with an audience, like where does that actually sit in the marketing mix? And like, how can brands take advantage of that if they haven't sort of been using it before? Yeah. So it depends on the brand. So this is an emerging discipline, right? So it sits in different areas in the brand. And I would say it depends on the brand's goals. So if the brand is pivoting from like an affiliate marketing first strategy, it depends on the maturity of the brand and where this discipline is really emerging from. So if a brand historically is coming from something like affiliate marketing, then influencer marketing will be very sales oriented. It'll be very bottom of funnel sales oriented and it will usually sit somewhere in like performance marketing. However, if the brand is thinking about influencer marketing as more top of funnel and awareness, it'll probably sit in something like social. If a brand is looking to work with influencers and creators to offset content production costs, as an example, then it'll probably sit in creative. So the spot that it sits in the marketing mix is dependent on the brand. I think over time, what you'll start to see is modern marketing organizations consolidating this discipline and carving it out, right? Because it touches so many different areas of the marketing mix. But it really, where it sits inside marketing is brand dependent and kind of how they think about their goals. And from what you've seen since you've been building Grin, like, do you see it as being a additive part of the marketing mix? You know, whether that's in sort of programmatic or around creative, like substitutive, you see people taking things away from other areas to put into it to creators. Like, how have you seen that sort of acceptance of it evolve into how people actually leverage it in terms of whether they're replacing things or actually being an incremental addition to what they were doing anyway? Yeah, it's a great question. I think historically brands have thought about this as, oh, this is just a new channel to reach consumers, right? Like going through the influencer to reach their audience. And it sat alongside things like paid advertising. And I think that's kind of the historical context. What we're seeing now is that brands understand that if you're top of mind on social, right? The consumer's on social, as we already described, they're tuning into people, not companies. And the consumers on Instagram and these social platforms. And so being top of mind on social actually accelerates the entire marketing mix. So when a brand is relevant and people are talking about it organically, that helps with their own social and the engagement and the reach on their own social. It helps their paid be more effective, right? And so I think what's happening is that brands are starting to understand that having a creator first strategy is really smart because of how it affects the entire marketing mix. 
And it's not just a standalone channel. Yes, it has reach and distribution, but there's this incremental added value of when you're driving reach to this channel that it makes the other channels more performant. The way I've heard this described is like brand halo. I've heard some brands call it like dark social. It's like this digital word of mouth that accelerates performance. It's really hard to track, but is really valuable. Yeah. And I think one of the things just to take a step back that you mentioned before that I'd love to learn a bit more about is the creative piece. And so if you think about how brands, you know, large brands and mid-sized brands thought about creative historically, doing a piece of creative would require a significant investment, particularly if it was video, you know, you'd go out and you'd do a shoot and you'd do the big TV with the production companies and it would all be ready for this like big 30 second spot. If it was you know, going on TV, that would then be sort of cut down for other mediums, but it would be the TV asset that had all the investment in it. It feels that your know, creators have really changed that entire approach and sort of flipped it on its head and it's more lower cost rapid turnaround. It can be really in the moment and reactive to situations or events that are going on. And you can see, you mentioned Red Bull, you can see people making content at the events or I'm a big mountain bike fan. And you see the big mountain bike events and then an hour or two later, there's a whole piece of content that's come out from that creator. And so like, how do you see these changes being made successful within the teams that are embracing them? And like, how do you make that sort of entire new approach of generating lower cost creative and that rapid turnaround. How do you advise people really embracing that as a new source of creativity? If historically, from the organizational standpoint, they have done the 50 grand 30 second TV spot that then is the basis of everything else. Yeah, I think how you described it is exactly right. Like if you think about it, who knows the consumer better? Like some photographer that you hire that maybe is in the target audience or maybe not or someone who has this two-way relationship with the consumer and interacts with them every day. So creators, if you find the right brand alignment and fit, they're more connected to the consumer, meaning they have a better intuition around what's gonna resonate, and they also know how to produce arguably better creative. So as you described, there's a bunch of benefits to it that brands are waking up to for this particular use case. You eliminate the overhead, it's rapid, it's fast, it scales on demand and as big as you need, it's just better on multiple fronts. And I think for brands that want to think about getting creative produced this way, they first they need to get serious about it, right? So what we see is that the best brands are really building internal teams around managing creators. And so they're starting to think about working with creators as a discipline within the mix. And they have someone on the team who just does influencer marketing, identifies, collaborates with people to reach the audience. But then they have someone on the creative who says, Hey, maybe on the creative team, who maybe we're going to recruit creators that don't have a big audience, but are just great photographers and videographers who are going to resonate with our consumer and our customer. And we're going to collaborate with them just to produce content. And so what you see in these modern marketing departments, it's that it's collapsing into one discipline. And you have different people in the function who are performing different things with creators and creative content production being one of them. And there's a bunch of best practices we could go into around identifying people with brand fit, like making sure there's real affinity and product usage prior to engaging them, inspiring belief, all these things that produce more authentic and real content. But I think the the overarching thing is they're taking it serious and treating it like a real discipline. And so now I'd love to sort of dig into the pieces you just described there, but I do have sort of one, I guess, upfront question that might, I don't want to say be the elephant in the room, but historically you hear of creators or influencers being paid, you know, 
large amounts of money to do just a single post. And for companies, like that post could be their entire marketing budget, you know, or six months of budget just for one instant moment of visibility on that creator or that influencer. And then it all has to come in that big hit. And so given that that is a huge risk that people, you know, would take if they were going very big at the very beginning, like how can a company who is beginning or wanting to take those first steps on this space, who's never worked with creators before, like be able to get started without sort of having to make that large upfront roll of the dice commitment, it might feel like. And how does a platform like, you know, Grin actually help that happen? Well, that's a great call out. And I think it maps really well to best practices. I would agree with you, Jordan, that's the absolute wrong way to start. And I think if you're going to these like mega celebrities or top tier influencers to start and you're paying them a bunch of money to pretend like they like you on social when the audience probably knows that they don't actually, like, I think it's going to probably backfire on the brand. And so what we see is that the best brands start small, right? So they identify creators who already believe in the brand and have affinity for the brand. And in the best case scenario, already use your product, right? So you can go through who's actually purchasing from you and map it to social and say, who are my customers that have a large social following that are already have some affinity for my product? Ideally, they have smaller audiences. And so the hurdle on the cost side is much lower. And oftentimes you can start without even offering cash. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pay people what they're worth. But what we see is people just organically reach out to these creators and they say, hey, we love your content. We see you also use our products. Like we'd love to find some ways to work together. What do you think? And by not leading with money, and that doesn't mean that people aren't paid. It means you're not leading with money. You're leading with brand fit and real mutual value. What we find is that if the brand is strong enough, like you can get started for little to no money as the value is in the credibility of the partnership. The creator wants to be associated with your brand because they're a real fan. And you need to then test and experiment. And I would highly suggest trying to find ways you can add value to their audience, right? So it's not just, hey, I'm going to pay you $1,000 or $100,000 or $100, whatever it is. It's, hey, we really like your content. We think you resonate. How can we collaborate on something that's going to be really meaningful for your audience? And that actually sparks the right type of interest from creators. And I would agree with you. I would highly advise against leading with a massive budget to start. You need to test small. You need to experiment. You need to see what works. And then over time, as the relationship progresses, people should be paid and they should be paid what they're worth for sure. But you need to build up to that and not jump in headfirst with massive budgets is my view. And so you've touched on a couple of best practices or, you know, at least initial guiding thoughts to how to get started and actually take a good first step down this road. Like what would be some of the other ones when it comes to length or form or whether it's images or video or medium, like what would be some other best practices you would want to share? Or even when it comes to the thing that you mentioned about, you know, being additive to the audience, like what are some examples you've seen where, that have actually been a good first step of how new businesses have been able to actually be additive to a creator's audience for the first time that they've used this new medium? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, right, is one, you need to start small, but you need to think long-term. And that doesn't mean you need to build a long-term partnership with everyone you work with. You need to collaborate and test partnerships with lots of creators. But then when it clearly starts to have some early signal around resonating with the audience, then you should quickly try to move that person into a long-term relationship 
where the real outcome comes on behalf of brands is when the audience can tell that there's a real affinity between the brand and the creator and they collaborate together over a very long period of time. I think on the actual content execution, it depends on the platform and where you're driving the outcome, right? So you want to match the type of content to the platform and all social platforms have different, you know, native content forms. And there's some basic best practices. I would say to come up with creative and authentic ideas, a great question that I've always liked to ask that I actually used to ask athletes and musicians and people I'd partner with at Red Bull is, what is something you've always wanted to do for your audience, but you've never had the resources to do it? And like those types of questions, because resources are still usually the gating factor. They're like, oh, I've always wanted to go on this trip or I've wanted to do this. But there, it sparks creativity that actually resonates with the audience. And so I think those types of questions start to brainstorm authentic content. And then when you actually get into partnerships that start working, right? If you're trying to drive bottom of funnel, there's things you can do like match the landing page and the squeeze page where you're driving the audience to the actual content that's going on to social. So like if you have an account on Instagram, Jordan, and you're talking to your audience, you're like, hey, I really love this cold plunge tank. It's like, Matt, it's great for me. I'm traveling all the time and it really gets me energized in the morning. And then if you're driving traffic to the cold plunge website, there should be like a checkout page that has you on it with that piece of content. And so like basic marketing best practices. And that's how I think about it. And I think the key thing is finding people who have brand fit and affinity and then working with them over a long period of time. And the thing that you mentioned there about you know, going into this for the long term and seeing it as a long term partnership and relationship versus it just being sort of a quick in and out. Oh, we've checked the box. We've done influencer marketing for this time and we'll come back to it. A major concern that you could see coming up there with someone who is investing in a relationship with you know someone else for the future where they don't necessarily control the output of that individual is things around brand safety and how that attachment to that creator over time, if they ever do anything that you as a business wouldn't deem brand safe, could come and have a sort of a negative effect on your own brand. And so how have you worked with brands through Grin to actually sort of mitigate or think about how the brand safety ramifications of these long-term engagements with three thinking individuals that are entirely outside of, you know, your direct control within your teams, how does that work? And how do you get people who do have brand safety concerns comfortable with creator marketing and leveraging it? Great question comes up all the time. And I would argue that a long-term relationship is actually a much better way to ensure brand safety than like a short-term transactional relationship like you would see in like a marketplace or something. Our product, Grin, is not a marketplace. We don't have a bunch of creators that we're matching to brands. It's a tool that brands use to manage this workflow. When I look at these marketplaces that match like thousands of creators with brands, I think the opportunity for a misalignment on the brand side, or if you describe it, you know, brand safety errors and issues is really strong because you have this like group of creators that are pitching brands of why they want to work with them. And they actually don't really care about the brand or the product. They only care about the money. And so when I think about long-term relationships, I think it actually is a much more brand safe way to do it. And you're never going to get rid of this human touch. You can have, you know, a product like Grin that helps you understand brand safety scores and brand fit and alignment and historical content. There's a lot of products that do that. But fundamentally, this is about people. It's not like buying ads in Facebook Ads Manager. It's just different because the endorsement goes through a person 
and it's not just going through a platform. There's a person doing the endorsement. It's about collaboration, having the right person on your team, managing the creator relationship and having a human actually vet the partnership and saying, does this person really align sharing details and briefs up front? And there's tools that can support that. I would argue, yeah, that the long-term relationship approach is a much stronger way to do that as opposed to going into a marketplace and having a bunch of people that pitch you on why they should work with you. I think there's more risk there, but you're right. It is a huge concern. And it's precisely because it goes through people and it's not totally controlled, but that's also the magic of it. I think it's a fascinating space when you think about just how rapidly it evolves when new mediums come along and, you know, how these relationships do have to change over time. And with what's going on in in the world at the moment and the shifts in, you know, the ad industry and the shifts in the economic environment, like, and you also mentioned earlier on, like some of the challenges with like measuring the effectiveness of creators and how much it has driven, you know, ROI and what you've put into it at the end of the day. Like, given all of these factors, how do you see the creator space evolving in the coming 6, 12, 18, 24, and maybe even longer months, if you're willing to sort of stake a prediction any further out, sort of into how businesses are actually going to engage with them with all of this change swirling around them at the moment? I mean, my view is I think it becomes more important, right? Like, again, I'll go back to what I opened up the conversation with, as a brand and as a marketer, we're talking about marketing, essentially, like you have to go to where the attention is and the consumer attention is in mobile and it's on these social platforms. So I think the idea that, you know, somehow and creators are the conduit that keep the consumer on the social platform, like the publisher of the content is now a creator. Again, it's not controlled by a company. So I think that disruption is the same. And I think it becomes more important, more pronounced And I think what you're seeing is the fastest growing brands have really pivoted to this creator first strategy, right? We all know there's been a ton of challenges to overcome on the brand side with targeting that they're dealing with social platforms. And this is a great way to reach the audience in an authentic way that aligns. And I think it becomes more pronounced. I think you'll see things like, I think there's some really interesting innovation happening with probabilistic attribution that is taking the measurement and applying data science and ML to it. And it's not precise using like cookies and last click, but it's really my understanding is, hey, here's how we're allocating our spend across platforms. And here's what we think the attribution is. I think that's an interesting innovation that will become more pronounced. I think, again, the collapse of the definitions will continue to occur. Like whether you're working with a college athlete to drive outcome to their audience, or you're working with a customer who has a social following, or you're working with a web publisher to do affiliate marketing or a photographer to do, you know, create photos and branded content. It's all just people. And so I think you start to see the collapse of the definitions where this historically narrow view of influencer marketing starts to expand. And I think brands start to see creators as real collaborators in their business. They know the audience. I think they're vetting products. They're really seen as true partners and long-term collaborators as opposed to billboards. And I think it's an exciting time to be in this space. Like you said, the world changes really fast and smart brands are moving quick right alongside it. And for someone who wants to take that first step and begin on the journey of working with creators, like what would be the biggest tip that you would give them and sort of the biggest watch out or lesson you've learned from the mistakes you've seen other people make so they don't have to sort of make it themselves? So the biggest tip I would say is don't overthink it and get started and start slow. You probably already have someone in your company that is very active on social, 
that understands the consumer really well. Maybe it's the head of marketing, maybe it's some IC in marketing. They know who the creators are already. And if they don't have them browse social and aggregate those creators into a Google sheet and reach out to them and ask them to collaborate. Don't need to go buy a big platform. You don't need to spend a bunch of money. You can get started easily and you can start slow. And then where things I do think go off the rails, we touched on briefly, and I'm glad you brought it up. But I think is when people lead with these big budgets without really understanding if there's fit there. Again, creators should be paid. It's an emerging small business type that I think will continue to become more pronounced. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be paid. What I'm saying is as the brand, you shouldn't lead with money. You should lead with trying to find people who align with your mission and what you're doing and find ways to add value to their audience and pay them in the process. But you shouldn't just get people to line up because you're going to write the biggest check. And I think that's where it starts to go sideways because it becomes ROI negative very quick until you really understand the channel and the discipline and the process. No, great final words to leave us on with that, Brandon. And I guess the final comment, I'd love for you just to share a little bit about where people can find out more about Grin and what Grin does and yeah, how to learn a bit more about what the company that you've built. Yeah, absolutely. So you can check us out on online at www.grin.co. And I think we're going to be creating a specific page about our partnership with you guys at Meta. So we'll put that up at www.grin.co slash Meta, and that'll redirect people to this episode. And yeah, you can find us online. We have a blog. I'm very active on social, especially on LinkedIn. So if you just type Brandon Brown and then the company that I founded, Grin, on LinkedIn, you should be able to connect with me on there. No, amazing, Brandon. Thank you very much for joining us today on the episode. So I hope you enjoyed this episode on creators and the value it can drive to your marketing strategies. We'll have links to any of the resources we mentioned in the show notes at the end. So thank you for listening to the Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. And be sure to subscribe to get notified whenever we have a new episode and help us share these insights with others by leaving us a five-star review. We hope you enjoyed this episode on creators and the value they can bring to your marketing strategy. We'd also like to give a special thank you to Brandon Brown for sharing his time and valuable insight with us. You can find links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. Thank you for listening to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. Mm-hmm.